0: We all know to increase your odds of success, you need to increase your knowledge. With Audible.com, it's never been easier. Go to audibletrial.com unstoppable to get your free 30-day trial today and become unstoppable. <laughs> With excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef J. Murray. Chef, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: Oh um, man, I'm terrific. Are you ready to make some restaurant dreams unstoppable?
1: I am ready to do what I can. Play my little, play my
0: little part. All right, let's do this. So, Chef Jay Murray has been surrounded by food in the restaurant culture ever since a young boy. Uh, he attended Hampshire College and focused on literature and uh, did some food writing. After that, uh, he decided to take his Some career advice from Rick Bayless and Charlie Trotter, two people who I would listen to for career advice. And uh, they told him to be a chef and go as far as you can with it, then decide what you're going to do. And that's exactly what Chef Jay Murray did. Uh, Since 1998, Chef Murray has led Grill 23 in Bar in Boston, Massachusetts as their executive chef. Under his helm, Town & Country Magazine recognized Grill 23 and Bar as one of America's top 10 steakhouses and uh, by the Boston Globe as being quote-unquote king. Uh, Grill 23 also earned the highest honors from Zagat Survey, including most popular, top American, top steakhouse, top seafood restaurant, and most recently, Grill 23 Bar was recognized as one of of Boston's top fifty restaurants, man, uh, what a mouthful! You guys are killing it over there. Uh, I mean, this is just an aerial view of what you got going on and what you've accomplished. So, I guess, kind of give us a big picture and, like, how did, like, when did you know that this was going to be more than just a job for you and you're going to make the hospitality industry your career? Yeah, that's
1: a pretty good question. Um, well, I guess I'm still going as Charlie Trotter, and like Taylor said, I'm still going as <laughs> far it. as I can with it. Awesome. I don't know at what point it occurred to me. I think the cool thing about the grill is that uh, we're always changing things. Yeah, We're always trying to be fresh and new and Mm. different. Um, I I couldn't be the chef of the same restaurant for that long. And I feel like we're not the same. Mm. We're always evolving, which is pretty exciting for me. It's exciting as a chef.
0: Mm. It's so important. How important would you say it is to evolve and to stay fresh? I think a lot of people struggle with that.
1: Um, It's, I think it's vital mm. <laughs> you know not i don 't know what the typical lifespan of a restaurant is yeah. or even of the um, the interest an owner has in a restaurant I a lot of times I, at least for me I, I sort of thrive on change, mm-hmm. you know, which is strange for somebody who's worked somewhere for seventeen years to even make that claim, but um I think not only is it vital for for you to keep interested but for the public to keep interested to you know, give the press and everybody else plays a part something fresh to talk about, just to, just to be part of the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you have kind of a unique background. You studied literature and uh, you did some food writing. Was there a point when you were just doing all this food writing that you decided that you wanted to take it to the next level and really get your your hands dirty with working in the restaurant industry?
1: Well, you know, it's in Chicago. I had a food column, and it was um, it didn't take too long before I realized I. Didn't much like editors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I liked having more control over my final product,
0: okay. and
1: um, so sometimes I would write something and then I would see it in print, and I, I didn't even want to have my name attached to it anymore. Uh, I I can, so yeah. I, I guess with cooking, you know, I, I have control.
0: Awesome, great.
1: I think it was it was getting hungrier and hungrier when I was in Chicago and I was running out of money that I knew I had to find a job. <laughs> and I, I had experience cooking, and I couldn't live off credit cards, so I just went back and cooked again.
0: Oh, man. Well, you're doing something right because uh, you guys over there at Grill 23 and Bar are just doing amazing things and getting some awesome recognition. Uh, You're a part of a great restaurant group, Himmel Hospitality, and I just can't wait to listen to the stories and advice you're going to give us today. So uh, before we dive into the questions, Chef Jay Murray, I need you to share with us a success quote or mantra to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling. So what do you have for us today?
1: All right, I got two for you, and the funny thing about these two is they're like diametrically opposed to one another. Okay. which is maybe why I'm, I'm I'm half crazy all the time.
0: <laughs> but all right, lay it on
1: us. One, one it came it came from Charlie Childers' first book, and it said if you strive like crazy for perfection, and all out assault on total perfection, at the very least you might you'll hit a high level of excellence, and then you might be able to sleep at night. Mm. Now awesome. that that when I read that many years ago, this. this it just it hit home right away. <laughs> um, and then I was, you know, I also do some work at my kids' schools. So I do a lot of, you know, construction projects, stuff in there when we were building them. And I, being a perfectionist, and then, you know, the, the head of the school door was like, you know, perfection is the enemy of the good. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, that's kind of true, too. <laughs> um, and to try to balance those two kind of mutually exclusive attitudes in me when, when doing all this stuff is, is tough. hmm but um, I, I I believe both so of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about perfection, and it's funny. I, mean, I just finished reading The Soul of the Chef, uh, incredible book, and they really dive into uh, the mind of the one of the industry greats, Thomas Keller. And he talks a lot about perfection, saying, you know, how we need to strive for it, but we also need to know that perfection doesn't necessarily exist, because once you reach perfection, there's always that step above perfection. What do you have to say about that?
1: Well, I totally agree with that. Um, not only is it unattainable, but I consider myself um, progressive, and all I mean by that is th- there's always progress to be made. Mm-hmm. So if I have a what I think is the perfect dish, I can sit down and spend not long figure out a way to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I really agree with that. Awesome. I love it.
0: All right, man, I'm inspired. I feel like I know you a little bit better. We got your story. Uh, I'm going to nail you with the first question and that is what is your it factor? What is it about chef Murray that makes you so successful?
1: Uh, I think I am very adaptable and I am, I'm also a self learner, which is something that really I sort of got fostered in me in college. Um, because at Hampshire hamster college, it's sort of sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, by the way, they, they teach whatever you learn there. Um, and so I found you have to be you know, and patient. You have to be patient in, in the restaurants. I love Level-headed.
0: You mentioned adaptability, and you also mentioned earlier that you're always evolving, you're always staying fresh. You think being able to adapt into does that influence your ability to evolve and stay fresh all the time?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. And like I said, like I like change. Mm-hmm. I, we, we change the menu at the grill very often, not as often as I'd like, but very often, up to weekly. Once I've done a dish, I never want to see it again. <laughs> and once something has been on the menu for three weeks, I am just utterly sick of it. That dish is dead to me now. <laughs> you know, it's time kind to of, kind of do something else. Awesome. Um, and which I think it's a lot of fun. Great. But adaptability, you, just, you, you always come up with just different situations in a restaurant. And he has to be able to just roll with the
0: punches. Awesome, Chef Murray, I love it, and I, I hear all the time on the show about being a self learner and how that contributes to the success of my guests in this industry. But patience isn't something that comes out very often. So why don't you share with us a story about this it factor of patience and how that helped you uh, reach a level of success? And
1: this is a kind of a boring example. Last. Spring, I think it was, around graduation season, we had some faulty CO, carbon monoxide monitors in the kitchen, okay. and they had this nasty habit of detecting CO when there wasn't any, which, you know, if, it, if they just said it's here, it would be fine, but they were also hardwired to one of our power sources into our gas supply. All right. So if they decided there was CO, if it wasn't there, they would shut off the gas in the power. Now, you can imagine... You know, gas and power are pretty essential to making food. Yeah, and that's yeah. You know, we had two kitchens, one on the second floor, one on the first. So we still it still left us with a kitchen. Okay. And at first, yeah, you know, this was like, you know, once, once a week, and it was it was frustrating. It was like once, and then oh, that was crazy. And then you know, then it was once a week, and then it was 20 times a week, and people were starting to get a little missed about this, until the point where it would happen, you know, six or seven times a day, um, and they would come reset them, and it, it took forever. And then we're looking at a Saturday night with 700 reservations, and the whole kitchen shuts down. Oh man! At that point, this like the kitchen staff is freaking out because they just want to quit. They want to walk out at this point. <laughs> I can imagine. The, uh, Everything that they've had to do, like, a couple of times, taking all of their stuff up to the second floor kitchen in the middle of service and scrambling, you know, we talked them off a ledge and to maintain a cool head through the whole thing. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not the only one. You know, there are lots yeah, of people But yeah. If you want to get into the business, expect a deal with stuff like that, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and,
1: absolutely. Um, so, you know, we, we got these guys. We got to on the second floor. Service went out great. They worked really hard. Did a good job. Um, we actually gave the whole kitchen staff retroactively a uh, time and a half pay for that day because oh, they wow. just handled it so well. That's awesome. But yeah, it's <laughs> so
0: important. I mean, you have to be patient. And if you start freaking out, it's only going to make the situation worse. And I, um, there's just so many different uh, little pieces of value in that story and uh, your ability to adapt. I'm sure you had to uh, get creative and adapt to the situation too. Is there anything you can think of in that situation where you had to adapt on the last, like in the last minute? Well. The whole thing is kind of happening at the last minute. It's just we had two service lines on the second
1: floor, but the uh, it's hard to describe. It's like really tactical. but um, you know, not everywhere had you know printers for the dupes, and mm-hmm. um, it's nearly impossible to actually pull it off. But everyone did. Awesome. Yeah, the other thing I think is handy. I think it's not a question of patience or adaptability, but flexibility. One time this year, we, we through some strange thing with Adobe, we lost our software to print or even open our menu okay. to print. And this was just a couple hours before service, Ooh. and we didn't have any menus. So I had to go down and use new software and completely redesign and relay out the menu. And it's just little things you have to know how to do. Mm-hmm. Learn those things, you know.
0: Yes, yeah, Jeff, you've given us some great examples of how your if factors of being able to adapt and being patient and just being that self-learner have really helped you with your success. I want you now to share with us a story where you just landed hard on your face and learned something from this failure. Uh, and just bring us to the moment of what it was that you failed at and how you got back up.
1: I think I failed. It wasn't land on my face failure. But when I was fairly new at until 23, the first couple months, Probably into it. I had no, or virtually no volume experience at, at that level. Okay. You know, I worked. I worked in a restaurant with 24 seats. Okay. That was the hardest line I ever had to work on. I think it was. It was a little overwhelming, and I think I was probably being sort of shy with the staff. It was a tough time. I, I joined when the old chefs sort of quit right during graduation season, and the, the staff was in. Um, disarray and people were quitting left and right and the sous chef was Matt he wasn't promoted then I walked into this and I don't think that I was immediately you know tough enough to really take the reins of the
0: situation mm-hmm. so you went from, big... you said you went from a 24 seat restaurant to uh, grill 23 what how many seats do you have there
1: well we started when we started we had
0: 270 now oh, we wow. have 525 okay so that's a little bit of a difference <laughs> so yeah uh, so we've, we've W- Double. Would you say maybe your shortcoming or your, your your failure was maybe diving in a little like too soon?
1: maybe. I mean, I'd run. I'd run a. I ran a hotel before. The yeah, yeah.
0: But, but it wasn't
1: busy. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, could. it wasn't. It wasn't Grill Twenty Three. Busy when you open. Busy until you end. Constantly, like if someone makes a mistake, the way things can snowball. Yeah. And it, it could be a cook, it could be a server, it could be anybody, but, like, a simple mistake could snowball and affect the entire service. So mm. um, just that level of volume. Yeah. And I think that I, I, I came in, and I think I was guilty of being too Canadian.
0: <laughs> what does... Okay, exactly what does that mean, Chester?
1: Maybe not wanting to upset people. Oh, uh, okay. The too, too hostile. Mean,
0: yeah. And I, so I think it's really funny, because that's... I.
1: It is that spirit of hospitality yeah. that I think got me stuck you know, forever in this business because mm-hmm. I'm really, really Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> I, really, I really want to make other people happy. And yeah. I, I just did not think I was tough enough off at that. But, yeah. you know, I also didn't have any time. I took a couple of weeks off um, with the France, came back, and all better. Awesome. So uh,
0: yeah, it, sounds, it sounds like you took on too much. But I have to say um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of times people don't take on enough, and you can't really grow Unless you put yourself in that situation where you have that slight... At amount of stress because you really can't grow in life unless you have that stress. And Mario Andretti I think says it best is if, if you have control, you're not going fast enough and you always have <laughs> to be at that point where, you know, you're, you're pushing yourself to grow and to get better. And I think by putting yourself in that position where you went from a 24 seat restaurant to a 500 seat restaurant, uh, it forced you to grow it as an executive chef. And I think you're doing incredible things uh, today because of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the way it turned out.
0: Yeah, you know? for sure.
1: I was pretty I was young, it was a lot, but um you know you, you have to even if that wasn't necessarily a failure I, I did feel pretty kind of bad about myself <laughs> yeah. and uh, but you have to fail you have yeah. to well't fail're not trying
0: I think we should we could all like just take a lesson from this story and uh, maybe if we aren't pushing yourselves hard enough to take that chance to put yourself in a situation where you're kind of up against it and it will it will force you to bring yourself and your career to the next level so uh good stuff so all right we have reached the part of the interview that i like to call knowledge bomb chef and you're just gonna drop some big old restaurant bombs of knowledge on us, are you ready to blow <laughs> us away? Awesome. All right. Good. So the, the first question I have for you, Chef, is on the the topic of funding. Uh, what advice do you have for somebody uh, who might be going into opening their own restaurant? um What do you know about funding? Lay it on us.
1: Well, I think the biggest mistake people make when they're opening a restaurant that is ultimately not going to be successful is that they're underfunded from the start.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh You want to ample capital, and you want to use it wisely. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to. If if you, if you spend a million dollars opening a restaurant, then in three years you want to be doing three million dollars in sales.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you you want to have backup at least a year's backup cash available if you can. And and often when you're writing your business plan, make sure you know, there's so many places where you where you think you can skip. Like, oh, I don't I don't need that. I'll I'll you know not put aside a thousand dollars a month for that. Or but just make sure you have a PR budget mm-hmm. because you know. PR helps.
0: Absolutely. Like, what would you say the most valuable thing of having that PR in your team?
1: You know, we all know about social media marketing. I'll Mm -hmm. probably talk about that. But I mean, they have connections. They have, Mm -hmm. they have, they they hear the queries from Magus, whether it's local or national or whatever kind of PR you want to get. But they have the connections that you don't, (laughs) you know, as as a restaurateur. I mean, you you might think you do. And if if you're trying to do it on your own, then make Make acquaintances of some people in the food business, you know, whether it's the Boston, if you're in the Boston area, you know, and, and the, the editor of Eater, Boston. Yeah, yes. Or, you know, or, or some local food writers. Not critics necessarily because you don't want to get chummy with critics. Yeah. But we're just food writers. Make their acquaintance. You know, say something interesting on your Facebook page that... They're just going to happen to read, and they might spread it on. PR companies are much better at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the, the my favorite sayings too is your your network is your net worth, and if you can uh, tap into the network that a PR company has, that, that is only going to serve you. Uh, you know, so great advice. The next question I have for you, Chef, what advice do you have for hiring good people? Like, what do you look for when you are hiring somebody?
1: I think my, my thinking is that you're going to be spending a lot of time with them, you know, mm-hmm. pretty intimate time with them, um, relying on them. And they're going to be spending a lot of time with each other also. Mm-hmm. And I think you're really trying to put together sort of a collective chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, I and mean, that's really what's sustained me and my staff over the many years, is that we have this, you know, you don't have to be best friends. You, know, so you, you don't have to even like everybody. That helps. But you have to understand that these people are all going to be working hard to put out something that's sort of greater than the sum of the parts, you know, mm-hmm. like the salt that they're putting out. You know, you know, you can feel it. If, so, if it's a bad fit, you can you can definitely feel it. It's like a disturbance and a force, you know. It's, um,
0: if you had two candidates thing. going and one candidate had that chemistry and you could tell they're doing a stage with you and they're just meshing well with your team, and then you had another candidate that wasn't – they had the experience in you know, maybe the knife skills and just the, the, the background working in the right restaurants – which way would you go? Over the somebody with the less experience or, but has the better chemistry? Oh, or? Yeah,
1: far. I, I without question, I'd go, I'd go with the better chemistry, but less experience.
0: Yeah, so much of that. It's so important. I think sometimes people, I, like when I, I mean, how often do you see job postings and it says, you know, uh, experience required?
1: <laughs> you know,
0: I, it's. it's not kind of given anyway, but. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I usually, even when we write job postings, which isn't often, we usually throw in some humor and stuff there and see if people respond to it. Which What's we it? don't always, but I, I, I think I had a sous chef once that responded. He responded to an ad that actually said, "If you want to wear a clown suit at work, we'll let you." <laughs> awesome. so, he never awesome. did, but <laughs> great. Which is good because he actually probably wouldn't have let him.
0: Um, when you find these people who are willing to wear a clown suit to work, what do you do to keep them on your team?
1: Keep them. We we and we entertain each other. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I, I think that that's that's just that we have a good time. We we, we smile and and laugh at each other mm-hmm. and play jokes and don't take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. We take the food seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm.
0: Can, and, you give us, um, can you give us an example of some of the things you guys do to kind of, uh, lighten the mood, um, maybe playing music. Is there's something you guys do, uh, on the regular, to kind of just have fun at work.
1: All right, well, I, I had these two sous chefs um, in the past, and one is my Chefs of Cuisine, and another one is a chef out in Chicago. But we had them... They would put up daily specials, and we would post their daily specials to Facebook. Okay. And then we made like, a contest on Facebook to see who would get more likes on the specials. And then we said, like, you know, the loser had to have his head shaved in, like, a month in, <laughs> on a video. And we posted a video to our Facebook page of him getting his head shaved, like, a month. And then we had another it was was actually... We never got to this but he was going to um he was going to dress up in a banana suit on roller skates and sing Rocket Man by Elton John. <laughs> and we're gonna videotape that and put that on our Facebook page. That's awesome. Um but, uh, you, know, you, know, you know we sit down at lunch, you know, it's just just a fun
0: time you know that's really great I mean not only are you giving some great examples of how to kind of let loose and to let your people just kind of enjoy themselves at work but when they are enjoying themselves those are the perfect e- times and examples of to you know open the shades on those windows with social media and let people peer into how awesome you are and like the kind of things you guys do the show that you are you know, human. That you. That's when people connect with you. That's when your guests connect with you, and they see that side of you. And like, that, that's a great example of how to use social media. So, uh, kind of a twofer there. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> the next question I have for you, Chef is what advice do you have on you know just how to lead? And I think you kind of alluded to this earlier when you had those the gas wasn't working and the electricity was shutting off. Like, talk to us a little bit about that and how you you as a leader made that happen without as bad as it could have been
1: i really like to have my my employees and my staff know that i'm i'm behind them and that i trust them you know i don't i i know there there can be some workplaces where there's just paranoia and people nobody trusts anybody else you know and i don't I think we trust our staff to do a good job. We have the onus on them to do it. Uh, we hold them accountable when they don't, but good-naturedly. But really, I, yeah, I think it's important to let your your, no, a restaurant, let your cooks the USA, yeah. so that you have faith that you don't think that they're idiots that can't do their job.
0: Yeah, and you're talking a lot about trust, and that word trust doesn't come up nearly as often as it should on the show. Uh, can you talk to us, give us like an example about on how you build trust and some of the things you do to gain that trust and rapport with your employees?
1: We have a system at the grill in place. Anybody, whether it's a food runner or say um, you know a back waiter sees something or, or the server, if they see something that's not right on something that came out of the kitchen, they should feel empowered to send it back to the mm. kitchen mm-hmm. um, because not all eyes are going to see everything, and we we need them mm-hmm. um, and they do, and that's good um, but then we also have an area where people are plating some food and they you know we also trust them to plate it well. Have yeah. to do it properly, and they know we do, and they they take some pride in that, yeah, you know, yeah. they i think i said i think we can if we can foster everyone 's pride in what they're doing yeah. Awesome.
0: I love it. And I think what you, you mentioned, just giving enabling people, giving them that authority to make those decisions. And I think people, so often people do notice things, but they don't get encouraged to speak up because maybe they're afraid of being wrong. But I think when you, when you give people that ability to speak up and to be heard and know that if they... They, if they are heard that they could help and that they, their voice and their opinion does matter, if you give them, if you build them up and you give them that empowerment, it's so powerful. Um, so, the great example. Thank you for sharing that. And now I'm going to ask you, Chef, what is one restaurant resource? Can you think of a book that you think is a must-read for anybody getting into this industry? Or, or maybe it's a website or a magazine. Yeah,
1: you know, I think, you know, Lucky Peach, I think, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Which is... I uh, don't remember when David Chang, but I, don't, I think that um, think Dave Eggers might have some involved in this as well. It's just, it's, it's so from the restaurant's perspective and not from, not Hollywood, but, you know, food TV's perspective or celebrity perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's stories that really would be interesting to people that really love food and most love cooking. Awesome. Um, and I got to say also right now, I mean, I got the Mugaritz cookbook for Christmas and it's awesome. Which book is that?
0: Mugaritz. Ooh, I think that's the first time that's been mentioned on the show. What's your favorite uh, feature of that book?
1: Um, I think that he's doing very cool stuff, interesting ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, like, I'm, it's like I, I feel fully versed in, say, like, molecular gastronomy, but have never happened in years, so many years to do anything with it. Yeah. And he's not really there, but he's, you know, like, he has this thing where he takes this clay called kaolin clay and he mixes it with lactose and a little bit of water, and it takes these tiny potatoes that are pre-cooked, and he coats them in this clay and then dries it in a dehydrator, and they look just like birds' eggs or stones. What? And they have just a thin, crunchy exterior with this really awesome potato inside. Huh. Things like that like they're are so, just new ways of looking at things yeah. um, that I think are really cool.
0: And that's super valuable too. I think it kinda of taps into your um your you know, your self learner side and I think it's really important to always be pushing yourself into looking at these resources to see what other people are doing and to kind of uh you know, spin off and create your own unique things that will draw in you know those customers and those guests, and to be unique—that's great stuff. Awesome. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about marketing. I think you gave us a great example about how you use social media um, to let people peer into how great your team is and to see how everybody has fun um, with the banana suit and with the contest and shaving the head. Uh, what else can you give us for advice on marketing?
1: Well, like you said earlier, you know keeping keeping current and always generating content because the way, you know, we see it around here, but the restaurant opens up and it's very exciting. And everyone goes goes, they try it for six months and then mm-hmm. a bunch of other places open mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're really exciting for six months. And I think being able to find something to be part of the conversation and whether it's, you know, nobody wants to admit that they're following trends, but you have to have your ear to the ground and you have to, you have to find it. If you're lucky, you can predict the next trend and try to be right up there at number one. Yeah, um,
0: that, you make a great point. I think too often people try to keep their ear to the ground and follow trends, but what you said, you make the trend. You predict the trends, and you be the trendsetter. Uh, I think that's... Like,
1: you know, like, like before, too, you know you're going to fail you're gonna, you're going to fail a bunch of times before you get one right exactly but
0: <laughs> it's worth it you got to try though cuz once it, it just it just takes one thing one creative thing to really stand out and if it does catch um and it, it can make the difference and you talk a little bit about staying fresh um a lot of time people talk about scalability and starting small um can you say anything about the power of scaling and how that can help with uh staying fresh
1: i would want that like i, I sometimes with your criticism of yeah, well, he spread himself too thin, or you know, he's got a taco shop and a Greek restaurant, or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. and I think as as a chef, with sort of like as someone that's with the very sort of artistic personality, that's a need. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not going out there and, and trying to show off or trying to. And make money although chefs often have to open a number of restaurants just to make a living yeah. <laughs> but um but i mean it's an outlet i, mean, I have, i'm lucky at the grill to be able to not be you know stuck on one particular outlet i can do like fish one pork belly one week and then do something argentine the next week or any combination thereof there, there is a need. There's a need to have that outlet to, for that creative expression, and you don't just want to be doing barbecue, or just want to be doing tapas. Mm-hmm. You want to be doing barbecue and tapas, and something else, and something else. You know, it's um.
0: I love how you call sort of it a
1: scalability. It's hard.
0: Yeah, I love how you call it an outlet, and that's really cool. And I don't think a lot of people look at it that way as a a way to express yourself outward. Outlet. That's really cool. I think it's the first time you yeah, mentioned on the show. I like it. Cool. All right. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about technology and adaptability being one of your it factors, there are a lot of cool things that are coming to market all the time. And Is there something that you use in your restaurant that you can give an objective review on? Whether it's a technology that you're using in your restaurant, maybe it's an app on your phone that you use to stay organized. Is there something that you just love or something that just recently caught your attention that you want to look into that you can share with us today?
1: Well, I'm not a good stay organizer, but uh, I'm, I'm a messy desk person. You know, one after we do use at the grill, it's actually um, a web service. It's called Vero Slingshot. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, and it's really just, it's a next day analytics for all of your sales history. Okay. So it, it, it communicates, you know, two in the morning or whatever with your POS system and then it reformats everything for you. You can look it up by, I mean, if you're, like a, if you're an analyst geek like I am or a numbers geek, I mean, you can look it up and you can you can go through all that data and learn so much about your customers and what they want and what they don't want just in terms of looking at numbers. Um, what's I your, think it's an awesome service.
0: What's your favorite
1: feature? Really looking up, trying to analyze trends.
0: Mm-hmm. And how important um, are the numbers and being able to analyze those trends? What is the significance there? One of the most important things that
1: I need to do as a chef in terms of you know food cost issues is menu engineering. Basically, we have certain super high-cost items that are very popular, mm-hmm. the lost leaders, and then we have lower-cost items that are less popular, and my job is to somehow figure out a way of looking at past sales and analytics and thinking about the future of how to make these lower-cost items more popular and the higher-cost items less popular. Mm-hmm. And there's not much I can do about the higher-cost items. Yeah, so does it
0: does it graph it out to you? I mean, how visually, how, no, how yeah, easy is
1: it? No, it's not. Yeah, I actually – I take the information from there, and then I create my own spreadsheets and things to figure it out. Interesting. Um, So it's not direct from there, but the information is all available to you and easy, easy to access.
0: Great. Awesome. All right. And that was a Vero slingshot. Check it out, guys. All right, the next question I have for you, Chef, is if you could go back in time, Chef, back to 1998. When Chef Jay Murray was just taking on the role as executive chef at Grill 23 and Bar, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, that's a good question.
1: <laughs> if I went back X amount of years earlier, I would tell me, hey, don't take that job that I'm not going to mention right now. <laughs> but um, not not the Grill 23 job, of course. What would I tell myself at the beginning? You know, that's actually a really simple answer. It just occurred to me and it's start doing yoga. That's
0: actually great. Yeah. Uh, what is the significance? I mean, I, I don't think a lot of us, I mean, I'll let you take it. But what is the significance in that?
1: Well, um, man, this has been Last year, I don't know. They all blend together, but I think it was, it was the year before last. Okay. I had spine surgery um, just from not treating my body well mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and I would feel, I would be a younger man now. If I have been doing yoga in 1998 up until now, mm-hmm. I think I could have avoided the surgery. I could, I'd be more flexible. Um, yeah. That's probably the best advice I could give me.
0: That's great advice. This industry it, it takes a toll on the. the I, would body. Ignore, I, would ignore, <laughs> I would ignore. I would ignore. I would ignore the advice. I'd be like, yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you're making a great point because this industry, it takes a toll, especially those chefs. You guys are almost always bent over all day in the kitchen and, and on your feet for just, you know, 20, 30 years, 40 years, and you have to keep that body limber and stay physically fit and not with yoga. It's not just the physical, it's the mental too. So I think there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of great, uh, you know, significance to that answer. Thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, all right. (laughs) So if there was one question, chef, I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this interview. What would it have been? Hmm. Maybe is the customer always right. All right. Is the customer always right? (laughs) How did I know you were going to ask
1: that? (laughs) Of course the customer is not always right. If the customer is always right, then I couldn't always be right. And so,
0: Give me an example of when the customer wasn't right. Yeah,
1: you know, it's, it's funny. Um, one thing specific to our restaurant, and it, this is not the customer's fault, but I, you see you them see on, on menus, specifically steakhouse menus, not ours. Some of them will say, you know, rare, cool, red center, and so on and so forth. And I think people expect it to be their meat. To be cooked less than it is so you'll get somebody order something medium rare and they'll send it back and it's medium rare and they'll say it's overcooked mm-hmm. so this doesn't happen that often but what I try to teach people is to think of rare it's 100, 120 degrees mm-hmm. and now if you Set your water heater, and you can, to 120 degrees. So if you have a, a baby, you're supposed to set it to 120 so they don't scalp themselves. Okay. So you pour the water out, or I'll, I'll take a tap, and I'll put the water at 120 degrees, and I'll have servers come over, and I'll say, like, feel that water. And it'll be almost be too hot to touch. Yeah. And I'll say, that's rare. That's yeah. how rare it should feel. Yeah. But people don't have that get that impression. So then there's the flip side, where if you buy a commercial thermometer, and instead of telling you temperatures, it just says rare, medium, well done, Yep. That, that's rare That's rare at 140. Really? Yeah, because I guess
0: they just don't want liability or whatever. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you
1: know, the customers,
0: you know. It's, they, <laughs> I get what you're saying. There's no
1: hard there so <laughs> you know, like Whatever the customer might not be right about, there's no hard feeling. Yeah, yep. yeah. Again, yeah, there's no room for that.
0: No, I hear you. And then I think another thing, too, a lot of the times people, they put. Another time when the customer, in my opinion, isn't right is when it it takes putting your customer ahead of your employee and I think sometimes we have to look at our employee and if they're if they're right in their chest in something and somebody's trying to pull a fast one um, I think you have to defend your employee before being you know willing to defend your customer because uh, it's about your people, your your inner guests first. Uh, what do you have to say about well, that?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that all ties into hospitality. I think mean, if you're going to get into this business, you have to have hospitality at heart. Mm-hmm. Not just hospitality as business. You have to really care about making other people happy. Absolutely. Um, and so I want to say, first, like that's that's what makes me happy. I think my mom probably instilled that in me and, and forever damaged me. But um, <laughs>
0: It's that Canadian. That Canadian yeah, that, it is. That but that's <laughs> just what it no, I
1: do. Mean, actually... I I have been for almost one week to the minute. I have now been an American citizen.
0: Oh, awesome, man.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to have to stop.
0: (laughs) Congratulations. Thanks. That's awesome. Um, All right, you've been an incredible guest, Chef J. Murray, and uh, we have come to the end of of the show. We have to wrap it up, by having you call somebody out, who is one indie restaurant professional that you admire, whether it's a GM, uh, executive chef, chef proprietor, uh, that you just admire I think would make a great guest mentor on the show
1: um, you know I think you know, co-chef and proprietor David Punch I don't know if you know him he's got a great little restaurant out in um, Newton called Sycamore mm-hmm. and he's just really good really nice down to earth guy He's funny, and his food is fantastic.
0: Great. David Punch, man. Look, uh, I am coming after you. You are going to be a guest. Hopefully, I guess you will be a guest on the show. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, this is your last opportunity to give yourself and your restaurant a pitch. Uh, maybe talk to some of the people that are out there who want to come work for you at Grill 23. If you have any job openings, maybe you can mention them now, too. Uh, what's the best way to connect?
1: Um, probably uh, letter J Murray at Grill Twenty Three dot com would be the best bet. All right. Yeah, and I, mean, I think he, he, I think people will be surprised, especially cooks, be surprised by what we're doing beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, someone just told me that he's learned more about food and cooking in three weeks at Grill Twenty Three than in his three previous years at other places. Oh wow! So, Wait, I think we're, that, ha-
0: we're having a lot of fun. That right there, too. That little piece. when I mean, you're going out on a good bang. Is the it's not just about a job. It's about investing in growing your people and teaching them and helping them get to that next level. So I think that right there is a a great pitch, uh, uh, you know, some incentive to go work for chef Jay Murray. Great guy. Thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest mentor here on restaurant unstoppable. There is no questioning that you are unstoppable. Uh, (laughs) No problem, man. Thank you. Alright, thank you all for joining us today here at Restaurant Unstoppable. If you guys found value... In today's episode, and you want more episodes just like this, you can help me out simply by shooting me an email at eric at restaurantunstoppable.com and tell me who you think would make a great guest on the show. I will do everything humanly possible to get them here to share their stories and their advice with us, or just simply tell me what you think the is missing, what can make it better, and I will listen to your advice, and I will do what I can to Make this show the best it can possibly be. Lastly, keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They're helping so much. Thank you so much if you guys have left reviews. Uh, you have no idea uh, how far that goes. Alright, guys, until next time, peace out.